Potassium's good for you, right? I think so. What does contains? How do you even say some of these words? Anyway, there there's a warning label on that on that can somewhere. It says something like that. There's a funny story from from my my college years, where I had this friend who it says like contents under pressure, right? And yeah. he said uh, he didn't read it that way. He read it as contents under pressure. <laughs> really? And so he was always he's always really nervous that the can would content. And he wasn't sure what that meant, but if you put any pressure on it, that it would content and that would be a bad thing. So that was hilarious. Or, or was it content until pressure was added or? Contents, plural? Or, or it would content? I'm contents. Or it only became content when yeah. pressure was applied. Look at, look at this sweet product placement. There you go. Got to watch it on YouTube to see it. Back, People. back in the day, we should. Oh, reopen. Did, did you want to see the back? Is that what you meant? Yeah, yeah. We should yeah. reopen the store. We should reopen the store. You too can have a very fancy coffee mug to hold your drafting supplies on your desk. I think that my. I think I did do that until it fell over and broke. Mm. AKA assault by kitty. That's what cats do. They they just they look at you while they slowly like, push the stuff off the counter. Like, hey, what check are you this do out. About it? Yeah, I think that's sort of like it's a metaphor for like you know the profession. Sometimes you it's mean like, like a project manager, or or yeah, it's just like, <laughs> hey, look. It could be your client. It could be the contractor. It could be the the permitting office. It could exactly. be your consultant. Uh, you know, on a project. Oh yeah, we'll get you that. As they slowly like push it off a cliff. So what we're saying is, architecture is a lot like a cat. You never know when it's going to attack. Uh, it's true. It's true though. It's Speaking funny of which, it's I true. should look around, make sure my cat's not trying to attack me. Well, and if and if Stop the mug. It really was just a pencil holder. I don't see why you didn't just glue it back together. Just keep on going. That's sustainable. Don't throw it away. Don't put it in a landfill. Come on. I think it... Who knows where I'm green shaming you right now. You are. (laughs) Although I did did just... Actually, funny you say that. I did just show my, my sons how to glue back a handle on a coffee mug. You did? Yeah. But that's perfectly fine. What do, what do you mean? You're going to yeah. throw it away. Don't do that. Well, actually, it was yeah. one we got way back in the day. Actually, it was from 2008. And it was um, our eight-year-old son's, probably seven at the time, artwork. And Oh, one of those mugs. One of those mugs. Can't get rid of yeah. that. I mean. You sentimental. Yeah. Exactly. We glue glue <laughs> to that sucker saying. together. Exactly. <laughs> right. Was it one that they had made out of clay or was it that like the artwork had been transferred? It was, it was it? A, we have, we have both except for this, this particular one was just artwork transferred onto it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so you can't get rid of that. It even had his name and the year it was made and all of that other stuff. And so 
sentimentality. Architects should do that. I mean, if you get some sketches transferred onto a mug, get it glazed, that's a yeah, that'd be cool. I think go for that. I've done that before, actually, where I've done some sketches, you know, like my ragdoll sketches, and gotten T-shirts made out of them, and nice. then sold sold them for a little while. Nice. I think all of four people in the world are wearing them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My wife being one of them. Yeah, right. The sympathy purchase. Exactly. <laughs> it's like it's like when your kids come home with the, the fundraiser and the, the parents and the grandparents are the only ones who, 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 you know, buy from your kids because every kid in school is selling that stuff, right? So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Or <laughs> actually, it, it's funny is that when I was still back in the office and it was a Girl Scout cookie time. Would bring my daughter in and she'd like walk around and kind of guilt people into buying them. And so she yep. gets older and she's still selling them. And now there's other people and they've got daughters and they're now joining and stuff like that. And there's people like selling earlier and earlier. And I remember one time I texted my daughter and I'm like, you know, Hey, you know, people are already selling uh, Girl Scout cookies in the office. I mean, are you? And they're like, Oh no, that's against the rules. They shouldn't be selling them so early. And she's just like, Demanding a, a recall of their orders. <laughs> yeah. It's a system of checks and balances. Yeah. It is. That's a criminal organization, <laughs> just to let you guys know. It is money laundering. <laughs> it is. <laughs> Drug I pushing. Mean, Drug pushing at the least, money laundering. Very much so. I mean, it's all criminal activities regardless. Right. Can't have like these little girls walking around selling $4 boxes of cookies and just, yeah. Well, hey, I've got a, a fun little trip on the docket tomorrow. So Ooh. as we record this tomorrow, but uh, everyone will hear about this after tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> I've signed up to ride the rim. Any any guesses what that means? Um, you're going to an all-you-can-drink Mexican bar? <laughs> Explain that. You know, Mark, I'll... <laughs> Bottomless margaritas. <laughs> I'm going to circle the drain. I think. I think that's what that. Well, that's at, that's going. after you right. go through a night of mm. bottomless margaritas. But you know they put the salt on the rib and. Yeah, they, it makes it fun, right? Yeah, <laughs> it makes it a meal. A margarita is a meal because of the salt on the rim. That's what you're saying. M my wife would. My wife would totally agree with you. You just threw her under the bus. Exactly. No, no, no. Yeah. So explain to me what, I, I mean, I'm guessing that it's quite possibly a cycling tour or something like that around mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Crater Lake. Getting closer, getting warmer. Yes. Yes. That's exactly it. Look at me. So uh, guessing with my mind. You. you figured out that I, I live near a volcano that's full of water. Yes. And, uh, yeah, there's a road that goes, it circles around the, what used to be a mountaintop and now it's a big crater. So yeah, there's a, there's this group ride. They actually close most of the road that goes around the rim of the crater nice. lake to, to cars. Uh, they did it last weekend for one day. They're doing it this weekend for one day. And so while a piece of the road remains open that connects the two visitor centers and the north and south entrance to the park, 
there's this big section that goes around the east edge of the rim of the volcano that is closed to car traffic. And it's 33 miles round trip. You do it clockwise and it takes between three and five hours to do. Uh, I was reading through the FAQ today and it was like, know what you're getting yourself into. <laughs> it's, it's like, should you bring kids? It's like, we highly encourage visitors to understand what they're getting themselves into before they decide to bring their children along for this bike ride because it's like a bike ride it's around the edge of this thing you're looking down on this beautiful lake the weather's always perfect right it's like oh, there's all these assumptions oh, yeah. that people make and then there's the harsh reality of it's like over three thousand feet of climbing oh, around geez. the rim over 33 miles it's up and down and up and down and you're kind of like doing these little peaks and valleys the whole way and so it, it sounds like it's quite a ride and it's, there's no food around the around it you know there's only at the visitor centers that they serve food hmm. and they do provide water though they do have stops for that along the way so you just need to bring a refillable water bottle do is it like on the road or is it on trails or is it a mix of both it's all on the road. Okay. I got to plug my laptop in real quick here. Prior just, planning just prevents poor performance. <laughs> <laughs> it just it just gave me a warning. Power save mode is about to go on. I'm like, oh, oh hey, crap. check this out. Can you guess what my t-shirt says? Oh, nice. <laughs> Wait, hold on. Is it Radio Shack TRS-80? Uh, that's yep. right. That's awesome. I forgot that I, I was... We never, we never had one of those. We had like a little Franklin. Our very first computer was a, was it a Franklin or a Texas Instruments? Now that I say that, it might've been a Texas Instruments. No, Franklin is really like popping into my brain. And hmm. it was like this, it, it had a keyboard. This thing was super small. And the, the keyboard was like those buttons you find on your uh, washing machine now where they're like plastic coated yeah. dimples that you push in, kind of like a speak and spell if you want to get a little more nostalgic. I'm, yeah. I'm pretty positive that the computers that we learned how to type on in school was, yeah, it was uh, the TRS-80. I do remember seeing them in school. It's like a one-piece unit, right, where the keyboard yeah. is molded up into the, the oh, yeah. chrome yep. screen. It's oh, all yeah. one piece. It's, it's like the very first iMac right there. Uh, exactly. <laughs> and it was an all-in-one. <laughs> Well, it, it, yeah, they had that where it was all molded together. And then they had the ones that, you know, later on were kind of like monitor, keyboard, and a separate, hard drive, yeah. kind of like all separate. But, right. But yeah, yeah, I felt nostalgic. And, uh, that's cool. My wife was like, Did you get a new shirt? Like, no, I've had the shirt for a while, but I rarely ever wear it. <laughs> I forgot I had that shirt. <laughs> I forgot I had it. I figured since you know, I, I keep wearing graphic tees on the recordings that I gotta, you know, shake it up and start start getting some more. But, you know, I just I realized like that. that I'm like, wait, you can't see my shirt. You must. Uh, you must see so my shirt. I did I'll go ahead and admit that this is the second day of wearing it because I did wear <laughs> it I did wear it last night at back to school night and like all of the all of the parents were like looking at my shirt like Hey, you know, you know, I did that too. Yeah. So, so yeah, clear, clearly we were, clearly we all equally as old. You, I mean, you might as well had a t-shirt on that said, my t-shirt is cooler than your t-shirt. 
or yes, we are all, we are all this old. We're this old. <laughs> so sorry. I'm, I'm Radio Shack old. Yeah, exactly. Nice. Exactly. You know what? Speaking of which, there are still a few Radio Shacks that are still around. And I went to... I've, I've heard that, but I have not seen them. And I actually saw one in an old town that, you know, we go mm. to often, you know, little, little small town that we go to often. And it is not, you know, the good old Radio Shack that you kind of remember. It's somebody either A, using the name Radio Shack and logo, or they just forgot exactly what they were because because it was basically kind of a catch-all. <laughs> Remember, like, Radio Shack was a... Okay, th there was two departments, basically. There was, mm -hmm. like, the front of the store, which oh, was, yeah, like, yeah. gadgets and stuff. Alarm oh, clocks, yeah. RC cars. Games. I don't remember little what else. Robots. They phones. Were, yeah, exactly. Right? Like, like, house phones, not yeah, cell phones. Right? Exactly. Uh, maybe some desk fans. It was, like... It was kind of like, what's the name of that, that, what's the name of that brand that, that is always sharper image. It was kind of like yeah. a, a, a cheaper version of sharper image, maybe more, uh, you know, just, just like more middle-class accessible, affordable <laughs> right. and right. every man's sharper image. And then, and then in the back of the store was, was the business yes. of like, this is the radio shack that I love. This is exactly every adapter under the sun and every electronic Gate. component right and it was like it was like nine volt battery connectors and little plastic boxes and little transformers and there was all these really Circuit cool boards, pieces diodes. for you to just yeah. you could just make something out yeah. of anything and, and when i was a kid when i was in third or fourth grade okay so we had show and tell at school right as as we all did back then and my dad made this thing out of radio shack parts it was a plastic box maybe three inches wide five inches long two inches high and inside the plastic box was a transformer a nine volt battery some other stuff that mm -hmm. he somehow figured out how to do this he drilled holes in the sides had copper wires come out like stranded copper wire and splayed them out so they were on the sides of the box and then covered them in tin foil on the side. And here's the idea. Okay. So pass this thing around. Take it to school and pass it around the 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 sharing time. Right. Mm -hmm. So here's my show and tell. I'm not going to tell you what this is. We're just going to pass it around. And this thing would like I don't I don't actually still to this day understand how it worked. But it was like if you tip it a certain way, it will shock you with that a nine volt battery. <laughs> so it was like it was like playing duck duck goose except the goose got shocked when we passed this thing and the people i know people are like what's duck duck goose what's radio shack what, what's what a is nine show volt battery what is an what are any of these things right uh what's a transformer uh because some of our audiences of the younger generations but it was back when when we were kids it was fun to shock oh, yeah. the other kids yeah. in your class mm. oh yeah yeah <laughs> This was yeah. like the evolved version of the whoopee cushion, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> how you have to look that one up as well, folks. So how did you check or I mean, because I'm I'm pretty sure it seems standard, but it might not have been. How did you check to see if your nine volt battery still had a charge? 
Oh, well, you just put it on your tongue. Exactly. That's what I still do. And you, That's you, what you still do. Exactly, right? People are like, I, I remember no. I remember the first time I did that when my kids were watching me and they're like, what are you doing? You're like, try it. And then, of course, you know, then they're all like, you know, did you, yeah, ooh, let me try it. You know, it's great. Uh, there's, re- there's so many people who are so scared to do that too. It's just yeah. a very scary thought. Like, no, it's going to hurt me. Like, no, it really isn't. Um, right. I mean, my dad was very much into consumer electronics, you know, did a lot of work in electronic stuff, repair for other people, for friends and things like that. So he was like, he was the guy that everybody called when they needed something fixed. And every, it seemed like at least two, three, four times a week, he would be heading off to Radio Shack. And of course I would be going with him. And most of the time, yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. It was just like, come on, man, you know, I mean, and so to, of course, go and see like, you know, the RC cars and all of that other stuff up front was fun, but then just, you know, like going into the back and seeing like the thousand different spools of every gauge of wire that was there, all the different connectors, you know, the soldering irons and all of that other stuff. He would do his own computer repair, you know, and it was back in the day when, you know, you like (laughs) did all of those things. I remember... We had been taking this trip, I don't know, since early ages of me to like, you know, probably early teens. And then from there, it probably just dropped off. But, and I think so did, so did Radio Shack. But, um, uh, you know, I was even remember going back and that's where he would go to get his vacuum tubes. Wow. (laughs) Exactly. That's how. For what? For people who still had you know, like radio radios, like, yeah. Okay. So like a tube amplifier for oh, his yeah. receiver, his stereo Exa- receiver. Okay. Exactly. That's so cool. And the, the thing about it is this, yes, we've micro, you know, microized everything. And I've right behind my head is like a little small Bluetooth, uh, speaker and all of that other stuff. In your just, ears. Yeah. And, and in my ears. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and, right. you know, and it's, it's just, there is something fun about i guess the mechanics you could call it of a vacuum tube a reel to reel all of these things there was just a quality of sound that you just turntables don't exactly you just don't get anymore and and thankfully turntables are coming back but you know they're all still semi um digitally enhanced and things like that it's like oh we want to get the cracking and popping sound i was just like no that's that's when you know that you've either a you know, abuse that record or be you've listened to that record so much that you've worn a hole through it. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. It, it we, we used to call those the hi-fi, right? Like oh, yeah. That was yeah, the yeah. stereo. It was a cabinet that sat in the house. That, yeah. 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 Pretty cool. And, uh, yeah. And, and, and then once he stopped doing things that had vacuum tubes or something, he still had like a whole thing of vacuum tubes in the, you know, in the shed. And so I would go and I would like grab a handful of vacuum tubes and what else can you do with them? But throw them at your friends. I'm going to, I'm going to have you hold on for a second. I think what I need to do here is I need to do a show and tell of stuff that I pull out of the room next door to me as I go through it. And because there is there, I think, I think this could be a valuable reason again, to, to have people come over to the YouTube channel just to watch 
at least these segments when when we're going to do something more visual besides yeah. just our beautiful faces talking. Of course. Um, but yeah, please hold. Uh, please hold. I feel alone. Maybe I should sing. No, you guys don't want Could read the ingredients of a Coke Zero. All right, I'm back. I grabbed the first thing I could see, and, and you it's know what? I noticed as soon as I walked in. Intel. Oh, a nice little jingle there. <laughs> okay, so the I noticed the very first thing that I was going to grab is no longer there, which means my wife has already tossed it. Right, so uh, this this may not be a long lived segment, depending on how often she goes into that room. <laughs> but okay. any guesses as to like the category of items I'm about to mm. show you? Huh. Is this it... is a room that is a workshop? It was a was a workshop. It'll be transformed Ooh. into something else. So, um, it had tools in it. It still has some tools in it. So tools is a category for sure. Um, but also any other manner of items that you know you would normally keep in your garage could also be found in this room. I mean, and yeah. this room was fully stocked. One of my full of crap. One of my first I, just gut because of the age of the house, it being a workshop and mm -hmm. being fully stocked would just be jars of screws. Those do those do exist. <laughs> this is way better than that. You ready? Yes. I'm gonna hold it up here. Oh. This is like straight out of ET. Or the Goonies. We had we we had that very brand. No, no, it, it show swivels. the back. Be yep, the back has an outlet plug, duplex you, plug. You flip it up. You plug it into the wall. Right. It's weird. It doesn't actually like flip up. I think you had to plug a cord into this one. It does swivel uh, a um, little bit, but so we but not. All the way. You can't actually plug this one into the wall. We had one where you would just, it seemed like it was just like that brand that you would flip it up and you would be able to plug it into the wall. And, uh, it was spectacular. Does it work? I should try. I should try it. Well, it's not charged right now. I just tried turning it on. It has a little light on the top that lets you know if it's charging or not, but it, it's going to be tricky for me to even find a cord that will fit this very tight two-prong plug um okay so the name on this is a first alert ready light ready dash okay. light trademark and it is model number rl100 and there is a caution tag on here for safe operation see owner's manual do <laughs> not expose to rain use only with line cord wall bracket supplied okay there's some danger involved in using this flashlight is what exactly I'm, is what i'm reading um, but uh, what I really like about this is that is that if you want to hold this is like this is maybe out of Scooby Doo, right? Or mm -hmm. hear it, know. hear it squeak when you do it. Yeah, got to get that sound effect. But but if you want to hold it at full arm's length and then tip the beam upward, you can do this. This flashlight accommodates. I mean, exactly. It's, it's, I mean, it's a sure you couldn't time. just like turn your wrist. You could, nope. Right. Right. That might be. This is for, for if you're wearing a cast, for instance, this uh, flashlight's for you. 
Exactly. Right? Like they, they took that into consideration. Now there's another switch right here on the top and this is labeled beam width. And so I'm going to just, yeah. So what, what this does is it actually has, there's no way I can show this very, but, but there's a bulb in there. And, and it goes, it goes in and out, goes in and out. I remember so I can, it well. So the, the mirror is fixed, but the bulb is on this little plunger and you can put it in and out. So yours said, yours, you said that that was first alert. I know ours was Black and Decker because my dad was a Black and Decker man. He, every, everything was Black and Decker. So I still have. Now, now people are like Milwaukee or DeWalt or Makita. And they're exactly. very brand loyal. So your dad yeah. was a Black and Decker guy. Yeah. He was. We had lots of orange tools. Lots of orange yeah. tools. Isn't it funny how these brands like latch onto a color and exactly. that's how they're identifiable, right? So Makita's yeah. blue, Milwaukee's red, DeWalt is yellow. It's funny because it's like all these You've primary colors for the most part. Ryobi is the store. Uh, neon green. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, did you enjoy think well first thank you for joining me on this segment of show and tell and, that was awesome. uh, maybe next maybe next episode is is your turn we can take Ooh. turns doing a a show and tell this is a, a fun little element to the to the youtube show it is it is hard i admit for the audio only listeners but yeah you know, you know you can subscribe to us in both places again i i will say this to those that know exactly what i'm about to say but use your mind's eye mm you know mm Good call. Good call. In picture. Imagine, if you will. A utterly, both modern, modernly useless, but uh, back in the day, technology. This is for the thumbnail. Exactly. You should. Uh, I just did a, a, a nice little pose for the thumbnail. And it's like, it's kind of a, what would you call this? Vanilla? Vanilla? And a yeah. little bit of chocolate accents. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a, a very appetizing. It's an appetizing look. It, this, it this looks, old boxy flashlight. It looks like a uh, mochaccino. Yeah, and and you can you you can pop the front off for easy light bulb changes, which is easy very access nice. to the light, to the yeah. yeah, clean the lens, clean the lens off. Give it a, give it a little polish with your shirt. Hope dry it off if you accidentally took it out into the rain because, yeah, uh, clearly it says on the side don't That's something you don't want to do. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, you know, you think about, think about all of like the different products that you never used the way that they were supposed to like that. I mean, I bet the reason why my dad had duct tape around the, the lens. Keep the water out. Is to keep the water out. He was just like, you know what? They didn't make a waterproof yeah. uh, flashlight. I'm going to. I'll make it waterproof. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Put your hand inside of a bag, you know, tape. Right. Take the bag on the whole this. thing inside of a bread bag and exactly. Yeah. But a wonder bread. Well, we're, we're, we're several minutes into this podcast. What, do we have anything architectural to talk about? What do you got? Hasn't, ha, isn't all of that architectural? <laughs> Clearly my bike ride wasn't interesting enough. We had to move on to t-shirts and then flashlights. Yeah, I did. I did kind of like, and, and I didn't mean to cut you off actually. Um, <laughs> I am actually, you know, I'm, I'm going on a, uh, a tour as well. Mine isn't as nice. You don't have enough little side trips to go on here. Jesus. Is, is, yeah. 
but the Cranbrook Center for Collections and Research, they put on several different events to kind of like get the community out to see, you know, whether it's like architectural history or history of Detroit or things like that. And, um, there's this one called spiritual masterpieces, the 20th century churches of Metro Detroit. Nice. And it's going to be in one of the old historic churches in uh, what used to be called, um, Mexican town. Um, you know, all of the different, uh, areas throughout Detroit, mm -hmm. like many of the major cities had, you know, kind of like these, um, Little Italy, Chinatown. Exactly. Cork, Detroit has a very famous Cork town where all the Irish immigrants uh, went to. But what was interesting about it is, is it, it's not going to just talk about, you know, some of these, you know, traditional ones, but, you know, come to find out as I start like scrolling through the, the events for, for this particular is that, you know, we're going to be learning things about Minoru Yamasaki, Nathan Johnson, all of these kind of like. And, and even like Gunnar Burkitts, I didn't realize that Gunnar Burkitts, you know, we, we liken him to a lot of different, like very well-known, um, mid-century modern buildings and things like that. And for some reason, I never really connected him to Detroit yet. This is where he worked out of. He was a professor at the university of Michigan. He operated his practice out of Ann Arbor, Michigan, and it worked, you know, quite a bit out of Detroit. And so I started to take a look at it and it's just this, you could, there's this map that they have of all of his work. And it's pretty amazing to see all of the, these mid-century masterpieces all over this area that I drive past and I'm like, oh, up, oh, you know, and, <laughs> and, right. and it's just, you know, promise myself that I'll go back and see them. And, uh, and so I've just got to, you know, and so now I'm forcing myself. It's like, okay, they're going to be putting on all of these different lecture series and things like that. Our local Gross Point, uh, historic, uh, commission, they put on all sorts of different, um, you know, like little, like get to know this architect or get to know that architect kind of thing nice. from like nice. the early, you know, early 20th century talking about the growth and development of the Gross Point area. And there's some pretty famous, you know, architects or architects who trained with other famous architects. Mm -hmm. Like you know, this person came was, there was, there was one that, um, I was, you know, looking into and what was interesting about it is, is that their first, so they had immigrated from Latvia and Gunnar Burke and he had worked first with, I think, um, I, I can't remember. I've now completely blanked on who he had worked <laughs> with, but I mean, he, he worked with some pretty famous New York architects before he emigrated to this area. And it was just really, really interesting to kind of like see, you know, people had worked with, um, you know, McKeed, you know, McKeed, Mead, McKeem, McKim, McKim and White. Yeah. It was just, that say is that a tongue twister. Exactly. Right. You just pick one of them. It's like, yeah, work with right. Stanford White, but work with, and, but I mean, work with them and then to see them say, you know, Ooh, I was reading a story. And again, um, I cannot recall the architect, the, the local architect's name, but they got, they got their start 
doing some very, you know, like were the designer for me, McKim and white. I'm going to say it go. real nice. slow. Good <laughs> exactly. And got their start with them and designed some of the buildings that we know attributed to them. And they decided, saw that there was a big, huge boom of development in Detroit. And so a lot of people came to Detroit in those early years that were working with these early 20th century masters and came to Detroit. And basically Detroit has just this amazing level of early 20th century architecture that mm -hmm. is, can rival literally anywhere in uh, early American architecture. And so, yeah, I, <laughs> I've, uh, I, I've started to look at that. And so actually what's funny is, um, another thing I, you know, like all of the, the AIA puts out all of these different like pamphlets, wherever the local chapter is, they'll put, a, put something together for the AIA come see uh, AIA Detroit art, you know, Detroit architectural uh, masterpieces and stuff. And so I happened to be at a friend of ours who was teaching and they were, they were passing out uh, AIA Flint masterworks and, or, or architectural works. Um, there's some pretty amazing work there. Now, granted, they did not come bearing gifts of a bag of coffee that they right. had promised and really and really like missed that opportunity to say hey mm. i owe them coffee i should probably and i'm going to see them today i should probably bring that coffee didn't, didn't still didn't happen. wow so i'll, I'll i do not know I, I think i've gotten to the point where i don't know if i actually want the coffee not that i don't want to try the coffee <laughs> i beyond it no, I, I feel like it's, I feel like now it has become this thing, you know, it's just like, it's taken oh, it's a life. It's more valuable. It's more valuable now. Yeah, it is. Being a thing where, exactly. where it hasn't, it hasn't been fulfilled. And now one can hold this over another. Exactly. For a very long time and, and, and get much more enjoyment and value out of that part of it than, than just drinking the coffee. Exactly. There will be nothing gained by actually having the coffee yeah that would just end it well, why would it, why would we want to end this exactly exactly it's like a it's like a beef you know, it's the <laughs> it's the sharks and the jets of architectural podcasts you slided me from coffee so right uh have to go back to episode 300 people if you're if you're wondering what cormac is talking about here exactly yeah exactly which I'm pretty sure most people have listened to it and they know what I'm talking about. Come on. Yeah. Right. You know, that's, that, that's when the beef started. If, 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 if our audience are not completionists, shame on them, first of all, mm. but, but get on that, get back, listen to all of the episodes entirely they're in their entirety and, yeah. and get all the inside jokes moving forward. Exactly. And, and. Don't trust people who promise you coffee. <laughs> There's an important lesson to be learned here. <laughs> if you make a promise, you better keep it. And if not, no more keeping. Just, just let me keep this joke going. <laughs> All right.
Uh, anything else? You got anything else? I, I am at yeah. a loss. Honestly, it has been, it has been a light week at work. There's a good law that I told you that, you know, I had submitted that, um, that oh, one deadline. Oh, oh. You sent, you sent like a, a statistic along. <laughs> you want to sh share that statistic? Um, what did I, oh, that, that we weren't trying very hard. Um, yeah, you haven't tried. So we are doing a project and with all of the buildings and all of the disciplines, and I have to scroll through because I've forgotten the actual, um, ah, yes, here it is. So I, we, I've kind of hinted to you and, and we've talked about like, you know, the just enormous amount of documentation that we are now doing. You'd think that with. 3D modeling, BIM, all of this other stuff that we would actually start to actually slow down with the amount. I mean, there was, you know, some of these uh, architects that we were just talking about that, you know, did all of these beautiful masterworks in big buildings back in you know, the early 20th century. I mean, I know I worked for a firm that was a legacy firm of one of the biggest firms in Montgomery, Alabama. It did massive works and we were doing massive works like that. Hmm. And they would do like eight sheets. That's it. Eight sheets for the entire project. And it was getting done and hundred years later, that building's still standing. And so here we are, we're doing this project. And, you know, I sent to you because I just had to package up just the drawings, not the specs, not the reports, not, you know, a variety of like reports not engineering reports or, uh, calculations or any of that other stuff, just drawing sheets, 2,940. <laughs> like, and you said, you're not trying hard enough to hit the like, 3k mark. <laughs> exactly. Obviously we weren't trying hard enough to hit 3000, which. That's an absurd number of sheets. It is an absurd uh, amount of drawings. Absurd. Absurd. That and here, ridiculous. you know, here's the thing. I bet if I could spend more time. So it was, if you think about it, I mean, so our, our responsibility, the number of sheets that we had, um, totaled, let's just call it 560. Um, I think it was 54, 558, something like that. It was, it was just shy of 560, but let's just call it 560. And that's a lot of sheets. It is eight buildings and there are some things that I probably could have done to kind of like taper them down, but there was so many unique conditions and each of those unique conditions required something, something else. And so that just, it's an obscene amount of drawings just on the architectural side of things. But now here we are with all of the engineering to all of these different things, all of the different infrastructure, landscape signage, everything else to come up with 2,940 sheets is insanity. It, it is. It really is. And do you, can I put you on the spot and ask like what kind, how did you manage that size of a document? Because I would imagine that you have to split it up into bundles or whatever because of file size and you're transferring these as so, packages and things like that. So can you talk about that? Yeah. So thankfully we did not have to do a volume one, volume two type thing. 
each discipline was submitted separately. So there was a, you know, civil landscape, architecture, interiors, and so on and so forth. You know, so everyone was an, an individual package. And, but I mean, because of the criteria, there's what was called the MIDP. And this MIDP, if I'm, you know, it's basically a, a document tracker that, you know, has both the document name and, and all of this other stuff that's part of all of this thing. And so we did have to submit every document as both an individual sheet as well as an individual what? here you're going to love you're going to love this one it's all done in bim it's all done in revit right and every sheet that was created so every you know that 554 sheets of documents they required us to have an individual sheet individually numbered. Um, and it was a very long, very long, like alphabet soup of, of designations for this. Like a unique identifier for that one sheet. A unique, okay. unique identifier for that one sheet. Yes. Mm -hmm. And each one of those sheets had to be accompanied with an individual equally numbered the exact same way CAD sheet, you know, CAD file. So one PDF one CAD file for everyone. So now we're talking about me submitting, you know, the 2,000, you know, 940 PDFs, individual right. sheets. And CAD files. And double that for CAD files. So you had to export every sheet as a DWG? Yes. Yes. Okay, that's what you did. Okay. Yes. And yes. automation saved the day, I would have very much hoped for right now. <laughs> automation saved some of the day, but then also if you would assume that, you know, this, this size, so what's interesting is, you know, we, we, to manage the model and we had, so we had debated early, early on as, how, as one does, yes, you know, how, how, how do you exactly, how do you want to break this up? Do we want to do, we have eight buildings. Do we want to do individual buildings? Or how do we want to do this? And you would think, and if I had to do it all over again, I might still consider it this way, is to just do each building individually, just do a package of each of the different buildings. Here's the academic building. Here's the auditorium. Here's this building. Here's that building, right? And package them up. It actually would have probably been far more manageable. But the, the however, the caveat to all of this was, is that every building is connected by a basement and sub-basement. And so if you picture What's this- What's a sub-basement versus a basement? Is there um, like a second le level below? A second level of basement. Okay. So there's, and in fact, like the other building that I did for Hopkins, we have basement, sub-basement, and sub-sub-basement. So <laughs> three <laughs> so levels, dumb. three levels underneath the ground, you know? Yeah, yeah. But, okay. but- yeah, whatever. You guys don't deal with basements, so whatever. <laughs> I'm in one right now. <laughs> not in California, we didn't. I was going to say, so you're not in California anymore, Toto. Right. Um, but so, but the basement itself is basically the all of the service areas and all of the service, all of the mechanical rooms, all of the electrical rooms, 
food services, everything are underneath. And it's basically this amoebic one plan, one basement that connects every single building. I just like throw it right now. I'm just thinking of all the match lines, right? <laughs> it's like, oh, uh, good Lord. My Scope Lord. boxes and match S- lines. In it. S- oh my God. And that haunted us <laughs> till the very end. I'm sure it did. I'm sure it did. There are so many match lines. Why? Why are you? Why are you making me relieve this trauma? <laughs> I'm just pushing the there, buttons. There's li- oh my gosh. There's so many of so many. Oh, um, good lord. But yes, and and that's the thing is like, and sometimes it just didn't make sense with what was being shown versus you know like everything underneath. And oh my gosh, we so so I'll just keep going further. It's like, and then you're showing a roof plan. And then you're, you're trying, you're showing the ground, ground plane as part of your roof plan, because technically not every building, not all of the basement is covered by a building. There's a lot that's not like in courtyards in you know, plaza, plaza spaces and all of this other stuff. But those plazas are immediately over occupied space below. And is that a plaza plan? That's a roof. It's a roof, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you know, and 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 so it's a roof, exactly. And so there was just it was it was a very bizarre way to put this building together, and the reason why we did it the way we did it, which I still feel to this day probably wasn't the right way to do it, was because of There's the no right way. Well, it was because of the prompting of the reviewers, and how they were going to review it. Not how is it going to be built? Forget how it's going to be built. It's That's how are crazy. we going to review this? How are we you know, going to check for quality control and all of this other stuff on the owner and project management company side of things? Can we just go back to the beginning? This is the cat ready to push the mug off the desk right here. Shh, shh, this, shh. And then this, it's the management, the reviewer. Oh yeah. my gosh. Well, Dragging you know, this, the, well, the whole... I, I'll give you, I'll give you another example. I mean, we, we would typically in a lot of our projects, especially if they're a full pro, full service project, um, do our architecture and interiors as one package because they're interrelated to each other. Well, Fast forward to, we, we kept submitting them as a complete package. They wanted us to break it out and just to let you know that that resubmission that I just did was basically that was us Mm. decoupling interiors from architecture. And if anybody, it's easy, right? Yeah. I was going to say, if, if anybody has in the back of your mind that that is an easy thing to do, not just on like a single building, but all eight buildings and just easy in general, please tell me because I don't, I, I still couldn't figure it out, you know? Yeah, of course. Uh, it, it was, uh, it was, it was interesting. So how did I manage it? Kevy, lots and lots. <laughs> that was the answer. <laughs> it was, I don't know how I am. My I, strategy I, is caffeine. Yeah. I yes. Like it. Yeah. That's it. Jeez. That is it. My strategy is caffeine. Wow. wow. So, so did you, you, you said that you submitted every sheet as a PDF and a CAD file, but then were yes. there 
other bundles of PDFs and other, like oh, I yeah. can imagine that, that you, you broke it down by building or whatever, but, but you're not, you're not submitting like one 2,900 sheet PDF. Like no, people can't even open that. Right? No, so. no, 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 no. <laughs> I tried to actually send it to our cost estimators and just the zip zipping of that. I tried it once realized just to zip it just to it zip take like all of three those days yeah yeah it it actually came up it started with 27 hours and i'm like i don't think i've got 27 hours not only that but it's not going to do anything like the pdfs don't get a lot smaller no, unless no. they're they're rasterized or something and then you could introduce compression well this, which yeah exactly artifacting and all that yeah it would be a mess yeah it was you know and then you lose so much yeah anyway yes no yeah i mean zipping just just makes it a package rather than right. individual files but it's not saving you any space and it's not worth the time then to do it like right yeah. so i did have to separate everything out in bundles and send them out as you know this is you know what was it like one of 32 i believe like one of 32 different packages different bundles so that you know people could actually get them what is um, incredible though, Cormac, is that you are doing this all on a laptop. Like just think about yeah. that for a moment, right? Uh, what used to be done in like these crazy workhorse machines that were sitting under our desks heating yeah. like a, your cubicle <laughs> Sounded like is it was now a thin laptop on top of your, your desk and, and yeah. you are creating these bundles of insane amount of information and sending it digitally through the air somewhere else i mean it's it's absolutely incredible i remember when i was doing and i thought at this point in time like it was like this is insane amount of documentation so i was doing a project for city of annapolis it was that you know my that elementary school that I've, we've talked about in the past and it i had to print out bind and it was three volumes because it was, it was three buildings. Um, but it was again, one of these, you know, historic buildings and all this other stuff. And so there's a lot of information, a lot of, a lot of unnecessary, whatever, a lot of information. <laughs> um, but of course they required, so it had to go to two different permitting officials, had to go to the County, had to go to the city. So the city not a very big city, might be the state capital of Maryland, but it's really not that big of a city. And they don't do a lot like the downtown area, the historic district of Annapolis doesn't really do see a lot of like big work going on that I was doing with this historic preservation addition, renovation to three buildings to make it basically one, um, one big elementary school. And they didn't realize that they're, they require 10 copies of the submission. That's 10 copies of drawings, 10 copies of specs, 10 copies of everything. And I've got three volumes of drawings, three volumes of specs, calculations, and things like that. I came in <laughs> three carts, wheeled in three carts because I had yeah, three people yeah. helping me wheeled it in and they looked at me like, 
what are you doing? Like, you require 10 this copies. This is your requirement. <laughs> They're like, we have no place to put these. I'm like, well, do, do you want me to just give Open you one? No, trunk. no, no. Exactly. Oh my gosh. I, I, it was, it was back when I still had, um, my wagon and that wagon was loaded and dragging low. There was so much weight in that car. So slammed in the back. Right. Exactly. And so honestly, it was okay to, it, it was okay to actually like do it this way where I'm just, you know, taking maybe like a day or two extra of like just digitally wrapping things up and sending them off. Thankfully, more and more HGAs in local jurisdictions and permitting offices and things like that are getting on the digital bandwagon. PDF. Finally. Oh my yeah, gosh. 2023. Ex exactly. Right. And, and there's well, still, there's, there's still people who, you know, paper copy. Well, and it's, but it's the same, it's a similar battle is what I was going to say to like, where do I store this physical stuff versus where do I store this digital stuff? Yeah. Be because it's like, there's no easy answer and everybody does it, has a different solution to that problem. Some people are using box. Some people are using like whatever they're their right. intake like storage system is and then how organized are they and how do they know like when how, how can they find something where it went and they have to be on top of all that and so their it department yeah, yeah. is going to solve that problem differently than the people across the street are going to solve that and this is what architects are, are dealing with exactly. all the time it's just like yeah. what are your requirements and how are they different from their requirements and it's it's all over the board it's it's there's no standardization in, in this what I find interesting and what's kind of thankful in a way or, or whatever. So you're talking about the digital requirements of like loading something up and, you know, having the review and stuff. Um, city of Baltimore, what they do is they actually will, sub, you can submit digitally, they'll review it digitally, they'll provide comments digitally. And then once they approve it, you know, like actually you've, gone and you've made all of the changes that you need to make and any addendums and all of that other stuff, then they will actually require a, a minimum of one hard copy signed and sealed, uh, for their records. And then of course, a, an as built, um, once it's done, um, signed and sealed for their records, which really, to be quite honest with you, isn't that bad. It's a it, I mean, if you think about it in like right now, somewhere in the uh, attic space of the city of Annapolis, they've got 10, they've got 10 copies of three volumes of drawings for a elementary school. I'm imagining it's actually in some like mini storage somewhere, <laughs> you know, probably put away and probably on a shelf. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Danger. I think... I think I'm going to have to find like it, it's decades of, of, um, of, uh, pictures on Instagram, or at least it feels like decades of pictures on Instagram, but I think I'm going to have to find that in, cause I do believe that I posted a picture of my truck project of, of my car oh, loaded down, loaded, nice loaded down with all of the drawings that go in there. There you go. Well, I'm I'm glad to hear that you had a light week, 
but it is fun to reflect back on what it takes to kind of get through the submittal process. And I can't believe the amount of information that was produced for this project. And yeah. it, it's like, an, I think it's an important part of the story because it's like we go through the process and we just look at it like day to day. What do I have to do today? Oh, I got to make, I got to model this, or I got to put these views on sheets, or I got to dimension this. I got, but the buildup over time and to build these volumes of information that then move on to somebody else and they take that and they do something with it, they review it, they build from it, like what they coordinate with it, whatever those things are going to be. There's like we, we, we don't really step back and look at the big, picture of that side of the business of architecture which is our deliverable right and and what what's interesting about that is that it's not something that really matters after the building got built anyway right it's like it we right it actually by definition is waste which is kind of crazy to kind of think about it that way too right it's it's waste it this is but it's meaningful waste it's useful waste on the path to realizing it's it's like the design process is full of waste like how many ideas do you throw away to make a decision to go a certain path you throw away most of them right and so it is kind of interesting as we step back after you kind of decompress from the delivery of this deadline and look at it and it's like whoa there is a lot of stuff here. Like that to me is an interesting kind of presentation in and of itself to an office to say, look at this, look what we made here Hmm. and, and what can we do next time to make it better or just acknowledge that like, this is a thing that we do and and just appreciate it for what it is or not appreciate it and say, wow, we need to change the way we do things. I think there's so much, there's a lot of rich conversation around potentially around that kind of a, that milestone, right. To kind of step back and decompress and say, wow, okay, let's reevaluate now. Let's continue doing the good stuff. Let's stop doing the crappy stuff. What can we change about this situation? What can we learn from it? What information can we share with other teams who are maybe going to do something similar one day? And, you know, I, I just think that there's a lot of rich sharing that could happen there. And yet we rarely actually do that as a profession, even as a team in an office. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> On to the next one. Exactly. <laughs> That's what we do right there.